I'll turn up the game a little bit. We'll try that. <laughs> Drink Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> How can they resist that? Here's another one. This, this one always is good. <laughs> How'd you like that? The forest fire got him. In spite of, in spite of uh, Smokey the Bear and everything, he went right down the drain there. Did you hear that? Look at him. Now, how about that? You do that, you see, you burn that for about 10 seconds. Everybody jumps and says, oh, great, Scott, what's happening on the radio? They all leap to the radio, and then you hit them. Eat Wheatina. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, uh, there's there's a lot of things to be said in favor of uh, in favor of direct action. And, uh, while, you know, speaking of, of direct action... Uh, I was walking down the street the other day. I just have to tell you that, that New York is a very special world. And for those of you who are living outside of New York, you do not know the combative aggressiveness of the people who live in this jungle, exist in this jungle, and make it work. I mean make the jungle work for them instead of they themselves working for the jungle, which is a very different problem. I'm walking along 6th Avenue, and there's a whole bunch of little, uh, you know, this little crummy section, all little crummy stores, little bitty stores all jammed together up and down, right off the 40s here. There's a, between 40th and about 50th Street, there's a bunch of little stores, little bitty stores, little barber shops where it says 40-cent barbers and all that stuff, and places where they sell used magazines. Can you imagine a guy buying a used magazine, Tony? <laughs> Somehow that, that has a certain pathetic... Depends on the magazine. Some of the used magazines they've got down there are wild. They have the whole racks of them, you know. You don't think they were ever printed. They started out used. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, that's true. They're wild. You can't imagine them being sold on newsstands. But here they've got these little joints all along up and down there. And I'm walking in this great crowd, this throng of guys eating knishes and guys stuffing hot dogs in their faces and pizza pies and guys going in and out of these joints with the used magazine. There's even one shop down there that specializes in whoopee cushions. You know? This, that's always a big special. And they have a summer clearance sale, it says. Summer clearance sale. And, and a big red sign says, summer clearance sale getting ready for the new fall merchandise. They're coming in. And there in the in the middle window is their summer clearance sale. They've got these little plastic things, you know, that look like the dog threw up on the rug. You know, you can get all those. A big summer clearance. They're clearing all this stuff off of the summer. Will you see our new fall line coming in? <laughs> <laughs> Sneezing powder, whoopee stuff, all the whole scene. So I'm walking past there in the middle of this wild scene. And there in the middle of it all, my eye is caught by an angry red sign. Angry. I mean angry. You know, little angry letters. And it wasn't it wasn't the kind of sign that's a big sign. It's a sale. You know, this kind of stuff. It was an angry little sign. Boy, it was angry. Could you see the... Somebody had taken one of these little red stencil type things that you print signs with. And they, you can just see them printing it out. Boom, 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 boom. That'll show them. Boom, boom, boom. So he's pounding out the sign, and there, here's what the sign says. It says, in spite of what you might have heard, in spite of the talk to the contrary, this store is not connected with any other chiseler on this block that claims he is connected with this store. We are connected with no other chiseler on this block. No other chiseler. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, what a ball game we're playing. <laughs> This store is not connected with any other chiseler. <laughs> and I walked along and I says, well, you know, somehow I could see the whole the whole drama unfolding. One chiseler is, is claiming that he's connected with another chiseler down the street. And the first chiseler is very mad because he's established a whole reputation as a chiseler. 
and he is proud of it, and he stands alone on his chiseler ship. I am connected with no other chiseler on this block. Now, uh, of course, these new these New York vignettes. Uh, of course, everybody's going to say, you know, Shepard must have made that sign up. I'm sorry, there, and they didn't even spell Chisler right. It's spelled C H I S L E R, Chisler. It's something I, I tried to pronounce. At first, I thought it was some kind of a Greek dish, and uh, yeah, you know, with the grape leaves or something there, and with with the with the rice and the goat's blood and stuff. But no, <laughs> you've never had that. Wonderful dessert. It's fermented, you know. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, the, another thing uh, has to be reported. New York has a, um, has a, of course, New York breeds both anonymity and it breeds guys who fight like mad to bust out of the anonymity role. Uh, I, I, I suppose the, the great urban complex that we're living in, just a wild scene, it's, a, it's very difficult to try to put yourself into the place of a person who has never been in New York before, never seen it, really, never felt it, to look at it with a new eye as, as a you know, New Yorker. You live here in this rabbit warren every day, and you get so, you're, you're totally accustomed to it, literally. Well, I had a friend who, uh, who is an artist, you see, and he's, he's a playwright. And he's recently got himself one of these grants where they send him up to a camp in New England to write his play. And he says it's it's insane. He says they they take you up there. Here here he's an urban playwright. You see, he's writing about the urban life. He's writing about man caught in the 20th century giant machinery that he's created himself. That's his whole bitch. And he's angry young playwright. He's bugged the whole scene. So they come to him. They've read part of his play, and they say, well, what we ought to do is is to send you to a place where you can really write your play, give you the rest and peace and quiet, the solitude that an artist really requires to do his best work. And so he's, hey, that's fine. Well, okay, we're going to send you up to this camp up in New England, this traditional ancient camp up there. You're going to get a Rockefeller grant. You're going to get the Pulitzer Prize, the whole scene, and you're going to go up there in a log cabin in the rustic surroundings where you can contemplate your navel in solitude. You can be one with Thoreau and the ages. Well, here he is. He's this angry, hard-hitting urban playwright. You know, his hair is always must and his bags under his eyes all the time. And he's got old tennis shoes on and he sweats and he's angry. So he winds up up in this place. He's saying about the first three or four days, they put him into a place with his double bunks. Nobody in the, in the cabin at all. And he has little kerosene lamps and the breezes are blowing through and the birds are singing out there. And the lake is lapping at the shore. Is right outside of his cabin. You can hear the rowboats banging against the dock. And he is sitting there and in front of him is a sheet of paper and a pencil and he's trying to wait for he's trying to have the muse come out of the gopher holes around there to touch him with the golden wand of creativity and the burning fire of of the human spirit well he's sitting there on his thing you know waiting for it to happen and he's beginning to get mad He's, he's shadow boxing all around this little cabin. He's running around, you know, and he's, yeah, he's telling me the truth. He's, he's running to the window, and he's opening it, closing it, and then he closes it again, opens it again, he runs to the door and opens it up, lets the breeze in, then closes it and keeps the breeze out. And then he, yeah, the birds start singing, oh, shut up, birds! And then for a couple of minutes, like, shut up, birds! 
He's throwing shoes up at the birds. Then he sits down again and he waits. He's got his piece of paper there and he's got his pencil out waiting for the muse. Nothing. Then he hears the robot. Shut up, robot. Will you close them robots off? Turn them off. Something. He waits and then plop, 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 plop. The water is going. You know how water goes. You know, it just goes. It goes night and day. Plop, plop. It doesn't care whether you sleep or not. The water's going plop, 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 plop out there. You know, it's lapping up against the dock. Plop, plop, plop. Will you shut the water off, you bum? He's hollering at a little kid down there walking around, you know, with an inner tube around him. He says, shut the water up. Plop, 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 plop. <laughs> so it's the urban playwright, you see. He is beginning to blame nature on man. He literally is blaming the birds on the guy in the next cabin. He is beginning to blame the lake on the guys that are walking around with the striped bathing suits down there, you know. Well, he sat there for five days going out of his S-K-U-L, out of his skull. And I said, what's the matter? What was, what was wrong? What was wrong? I said, was it the birds that was doing it? Was it the clouds? Was it the blue sky? He said, no, no, I couldn't find the enemy. I couldn't find what to get mad at and write my play. <laughs> well, to make the story short, he came back to East 7th Street in the middle of the sweltering heat and the yelling and screaming guys throwing rocks through his windows, fist fights up and down the stairs, you know, they could hear him screaming and throwing beer cans into the air shaft, and now he is happily writing away once again. He is in touch with the muse. All together, gang, bring it up. So don't tell me you don't like this sweat and steam, this fist-fighting, yelling city. I mean, it's right there, and you're a part of it. You're as much a part of it, believe me, as those butts, those cigar butts and those beer cans squashed into nothingness on 6th Avenue. And that sign, it says, I am not connected with any other chiseler in spite of all the talk. I am not connected with any other chiseler on this street. <laughs> in the great baseball game of life, my friend, what position do you play? Are you a beautifully well-coordinated, integrated, fielding first baseman, but no hit? Are you a utility infielder, wherever Destin is sitting on the bench, waiting for somebody to bust his leg, who will never bust his leg, but forever sitting there waiting to get the call that never comes? Are you a hard-hitting, slugging outfielder, with narrow, slanty eyes and big, heavy, black sunglasses, squinting up into the sun, a 420 hitter who is slumping to 395? Is that your role? Well, if it is, you're not listening. I can tell you that. You're at the Sardis, where all the big dough is. Yes, indeed. So if you think you are, you ain't. You wouldn't be here, Dad, if you were. Nobody worth his salt is listening to the radio at this hour of the night. I can tell you that. And I can tell you this. Nobody worth his salt is doing radio at this hour of the night. Bring it up. What do you mean? Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. That's the truth. Bring it down there. Ah, speaking of saltless. Yeah, the saltless. This is WORAM at FM New Yorkie. And uh, we're here. <laughs> WORAFM and FM, FM, FM New Yorkie. Do you have the thing in there? All right, belt it. A song of love is a sad song. High lily, high lily, high low. 
What a beautiful song. Hi, Lily, hi, Lily, hi, Lo. It's the enchanting theme from MGM's film, Lily, which will be charming New York once again. Lily, starring Leslie Caron, is coming back to the Translux 52nd Street Theater, where it played for 93 weeks. Life magazine says it's a total delight. And Newsweek adds, it is one of the most ingratiating motion pictures imaginable. The thousands who remember will bring other thousands to share the pleasure. All New York will be in love with Lily once again. They're crying out loud. That's coming back. Uh, let's see. 62nd. <laughs> oh, wait. It's, Lily starts its 94th. It starts its 94th week. What kind of jazz is this? Hey, hey, uh, MGM or whatever it is, Translux, what week is Birth of the Nation now working on? Crying out, it starts its 94th week tomorrow at the Translux 50. So that's a new attitude towards coming back, isn't it? <laughs> it's never been away. It's only been up on the shelf, gathering a little dust for a while, friends. But now it's back, starting its 90. The house that Lily built, it's... Uh Translux, 52nd Street and Lexington Avenue. Boy, I'm going to lose my shirt here one night saying things like, that's terrible. <laughs> I love that. I, I really, though, that there, there is the true ad man's attitude all in, in full, full blossom. And I'm not making any comment on the picture of Lily, which is a fine picture, by the way. I'm making no comment. But isn't it interesting that the picture has been away? How long has it been gone? Has not played here for over 150 years. And, uh, and you know, here it is. They bring it back. And it played 93 weeks when it first was around, which was about 10 years ago. And now it's starting its 94th week. It's never been away. It's been in our hearts all along. We have wait till buggy whips come back, fellas. Starting their 10,423rd year. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You know, speaking of... Uh, since uh, since we might as well face head-on this, this uh, problem of uh, being involved in the, the great anonymous city... Uh, which we are, of course. We're, we're, uh, it's funny how, how many people will write to me. And, uh, they'll write from places like, uh, Bathhouse, Maine. Oh, yeah. They'll, like, uh, Dismal Seepage, Ohio. All kinds of places they'll write to you from. And, and, uh, these are guys who were, you know, New Yorkers and stuff. They've, they've been ha- making the scene here for years. And all of a sudden, they've finally achieved the very thing that they've wanted. That little chicken farm just outside of Elyria, Ohio. <laughs> you know, that little rotten, crummy pest house that they've always wanted to live in. They have finally made the plunge, and now they're living... Or, or else... One guy wrote me a great letter. He says, for all of my life, he says, I've been wanting to open a little roadside restaurant and bookshop and uh, kind of a souvenir place. And so now here he is. He's festering on the side of some old, decrepit turnpike way up in New Hampshire. He finally made it, you see. And he finds that his lifelong dream is something that he hates worse than life itself. He finally made it, and he can't admit it to anybody. He wrote me a letter, and he says, he says, you know, he says, my wife has all the kids. He says, everybody's up here. He says, I've got grandmother. i got the whole scene going up here. And he says, for, for 20 years, I was telling him that I wanted to have this place up in New Hampshire. He says, I'm up here, and I'm going out of my skull. I'm breaking out. My skin is popping out. i got pimples all over. He says, it's terrible. He says, and I can't tell anybody how much I hate it. He says, you see, I, what am I going to do, Shep? Well, I don't know what you... You know, what are you going to do when, when, when it turns out that your lifelong dream turns out to be a real Led Zeppelin? That your lifelong dream turns out to be a real dud? I have known guys that pursued chicks for five years, Tony. They finally got them, and it was like being married to an electric fan in heat. 
I'm telling you, I never saw anything like it. These poor guys chase these chicks, and all of a sudden, right into the machine he goes, you know, and he's screaming and hollering. He's human coleslaw all over the floor, yelling, and you know, no, and nobody, nobody's even even bothering to put mayonnaise on him. And there he's, he's all over, screaming and hollering. And for for years, you know, a guy will not concede that the very thing that he's been aiming at all of his life turns out to be the one thing he shouldn't have had. The one thing that he should never have gotten. Oh, listen, I'll tell you, I I knew a guy whose whose whole whose whole world was built on if he had money, it would work. I'll tell you the, the true story about this guy. He, if he had money, it would work. And he was always plotting. I would come into the radio station. He'd be plotting. He'd be sitting next to the water cooler, you know, with notebooks on. He's writing stuff down. He's always working. He always had a gimmick going. He was always starting a little ad agency in his basement, you know, that kind of stuff. He was always saying, say, listen, if any of you fellows uh, would like to invest in any life insurance, well, I've taken on a line of life. He was always working, always working. Well, one fatal night, a few years back, about six weeks before Christmas in the cold, hard-bitten whistling, screaming winds of winter, this guy thought of an idea. He was going to sell plastic banks on the radio. <laughs> you know, the kind that you put a nickel in, they light up, little jukebox banks. And I can remember his, his commercial went like this. Friends, have you ever envied those friends and neighbors of yours that seem to be able to save money and have fun doing it? Have you ever envied those friends of yours who have saved up for those trips to Bermuda, who have saved up to buy that wonderful new Pontiac Tempest? Have you envied those friends of yours, and yet you've never been able to save a cent of your own? Well, the little the little Roy Acuff jukebox bank may be just the very answer to your prayers. All you have to do is put a nickel into this little jukebox bank, and she plays and lights up just like a real jukebox, and you'll sit there all night long feeding nickels into it. And by the end of the week, you'll be able to take that trip to Bermuda. You must be absolutely satisfied, delighted, all your money back. Send your name and address to little Roy Acuff jukebox bank in care of this station. Well... Now, you'd think a nutty thing like that? You'd say, oh, come on, come on, Shep, I'm telling you the truth. This guy somehow latched onto a line of little Roy Acuff jukebox banks. <laughs> Tony's looking with great interest. He wants to know what happened. Well, let me tell you. Uh, he came down to the radio station. He's one of the announcers, you see. He came down to the radio station, and he talked to the manager about it. And this is a giant radio station that specialized in that kind of junk. They sold it all over the Western Hemisphere. You know, they were selling everything. They were selling Roy Acuff genuine, guaranteed, simulated plastic wallets. Now, I don't know whether you've ever seen simulated plastic, but let me tell you, <laughs> that's wild stuff. It's the only stuff I've ever known that dissolves in the rain while it's still dry. I mean, right in your pocket. Well, they were they were selling that kind of stuff. It says you must be absolutely satisfied or your money back. Of course, there's different degrees of satisfaction, you know. And there was always a little argument over that. But nevertheless, this guy went into the manager and he talked to them. Of course, all of us are sitting around laughing, you know. Ha ha ha, Roy A. Cup Bank. Ha ha, yuck 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 yuck. Well, the manager somehow respected the light in this guy's eye, the maniacal light, and he said, "Well, you know, uh, all right, we'll give it a try, Rick." And so, sure enough, Rick came in the next day with his little money that he put down for the first couple of commercials, and the radio station was going to go along with him, and he ordered his first little case of Roy A. Cuff Bank, you know, and he's sitting there waiting for the orders to come in. And he orders 144 Roy A. Cuff Banks. I'll tell you exactly what happened. And so that night, guess who comes on the air with the... Yeah, that's right. Guess who comes on with the commercial? He comes right to me, and he says, Shep, he says, you realize that my family fortunes are riding on this. 
He says, we've got to go over this thing together. Because, you know, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm as skeptical as the, as the next guy. And I'm doing this terrible rotten radio show. It's all kinds of hillbilly music. So after after this guy keeps, he says, and it was the Wolfish Cannon Ball. I say, there, you've been listening to the Delmore Twins. And now, folks, if you've been envying those friends and neighbors of yours have been able to save money, who've been able to enjoy saving money, if you've never been able to save money in your whole life, well, we have the answer for you. It is the little Roy Acuff Jukebox light em up Bank. Send your name and address to little Roy Acuff Jukebox Bank. This little bank sings and plays. You just put a nickel, a quarter, a 50-cent piece in this bank. It lights up like a real jukebox. It plays real jukebox music. And you'll be saving money and enjoying yourself at the same time. What? Well, of course, I'm in there. I'm belting this thing out, and I'm sweating away. And all the while, I'm laughing. You see, the engineer is sitting there with that you-know-what-eating look on his face, you know, looking at me like, well, boy, where do we take Rick over the coast? And Rick is standing in the control room. Rick is the announcer whose whole world is riding on this commercial. He is standing in the control room and he's looking real, ex- you know, he's looking in at me like, like, hit it, Shep, hit it, Shep. So, yeah, so I say, all right, all right, I'll go over it again. I say, yes, friends, you must be absolutely delighted. You must be absolutely delighted or your money will be returned without question within 10 days. Just send your name and address. I will repeat it. Just send your name and address to Little Roy Acuff Bank. I will spell that. L-I-T-L. Little Roy. R-O-Y. Acuff. A-C-U-F. Little Roy Acuff. Jukebox Bank. And you know how to spell Jukebox Bank, friends. Send your name and address to this station. And you will receive your Little Roy Acuff Jukebox Bank in just three days. Postage paid. Absolutely guaranteed. And you can begin to save money right that very instant. You could be on the way to a college education. You could be on the way to a new, brand new Tempest convertible automobile. You could be on the way to a vacation on the sands of Bermuda. Send your name and address to Little Roy Acuff. Well, I'm going like mad in there, you know, and I'm just getting carried away by it, and the the hillbilly music is playing, and the band is yelling and hollering. Well, I go on to my next commercial. Of course, my next commercial was something like, Friends, have you envied those friends and neighbors of yours who have been able to raise chicks and chickens without any trouble? Well, the little Roy Acuff Tennessee Chicken House will guarantee you 100 chickens without culls, sex guaranteed, mail to you, postpaid, any place in the United States. Just send your name and address to Chick, C-H-I-X, Chicks. And I'm going on, you see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my favorite one. My favorite one of all time, though, was, Friends, have you ever envied those neighbors of yours who come back with the back end of their car just loaded with feed? and you have not been able to catch fish for weeks on end, well, the little gypsy fish bait oil company is now making available to you a secret oil preparation that was developed by gypsies wandering over Roman Europe many centuries ago who had to catch fish or die. And this gypsy fish bait oil is guaranteed, friends, to be an absolute fish killer. And in many states, it's illegal if they find out you're using it. Just dip your worm into little gypsy oil fish bait, and my George, those fish will be leaping into your boat. You'll have to be beating them off with an oar. Well, I I love that one. (laughs) You can see I could have turned a pretty dollar in this racket. Well, let me tell you what happened. I don't, I, I, you know, we're all, we're all laughing. Everybody's walking around, you know, we're all, we're all hitting each other. We go in the announcer's lounge. You ought to see the announcer's lounge of a hillbilly radio station. That is a sight to see. I'll tell you, you can smell it for blocks away. Well, of course, I mean, it's just hitting pretty close to home. I mean, <laughs> there's two types of hillbillies. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's the real one, and then there's the guy that has the boat out on Long Island, but has the same taste. Uh, but. <laughs> Oh, man, that's, that's close to home there. But uh, 
uh, it's, it's a fascinating bit. You know, and I'm, I'm walking in around the the, uh, the announcers lounge, and of course we're all we're all laughing. All all these hard because you know one thing about about real really swinging. PI announcers, guys that really work the field. I'm talking about real workers in the in the vineyard of radio sales. These guys in New York City, they don't know nothing. I'll tell you. Uh, oh, I'm serious. You know, uh, poor old Dan McCall. These guys, you know, they couldn't uh, they couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag. You get a you get a guy working on a great big fifty thousand watt station way out somewhere in the deep south of the Midwest with the modulation at 145 percent. It all turned up, cranked all the way up, you know, and everything is mushing out. All you want to do is get the message out, belt it out. It's this, the, the station itself is designed to penetrate radios that haven't worked since 1928. I'm serious. Uh, believe me, some of those radio stations, even if you've got four burnt-out tubes and it's a five-tube radio, they come in on S9. They just boom right in. In the modulation. And friends, I want to tell you, the quilt lady, the quilt lady guarantees 250 pounds of genuine quilt parts. Genuine, beautiful, cut quilt pieces that will produce our prize-winning, fair-winning prize quilt in just four hours and 27 minutes. Send your name and address to quilt. Well, it's, it's this kind of thing, see? Circleville, Texas. Uh, and and uh, oh, it's, it's it's real selling, and and you're right down there, you're right down there in the in the bedrock, the real bedrock of Americana. You are dishing it out, and they are loving it. And and, and you got to understand that's something that very few people know about this kind of selling. And I'll tell you this as an old practitioner: this kind of selling is also entertainment. That you listen to a real good pitch man work, and he's as fascinating, I'm serious, he's as fascinating as a Broadway play. He run, <clears throat> And he runs the entire gamut, too. He runs the gamut of hope and success, fears and failure, love and sex. It is, it's all there. Yes, friends? Have you envied those neighbors of yours that are riding down the street in the sunshine with a beautiful blonde sitting next to them? Well, the little Acme Loan Corporation will make it available to you just $300 on your signature only. And you will be able to earn yourself, buy yourself a new convertible, just $1 a week and $1 down. And for the next 25 years, you will have that blonde sitting next to you with those striped tartan plant seat covers. Well, you know, it's this kind of thing. And so <clears throat> the, the, the whole thing about it, I must say this to any announcer who is interested in this, in this concept. Selling is only secondary. Entertainment is primary. You have to entertain the guy who is going to buy. And if you entertain him enough, he'll pop. That's all there is to it. And I don't mean by the records that you play either. I'm talking about the way you sell the jazz. <laughs> and it's got to be sold not only... <clears throat> Did you ever see the movie The, the, the Rainmaker? Did you ever see The Rainmaker? Well, uh, one of the best movie performances I ever saw was Burt Lancaster in The Rainmaker. And he also... He almost... Yeah, he almost... Oh, this guy's fine. I, I, refuse, to, I refuse to concede that Tony Perkins is a better actor than, <laughs> than Burt Lancaster. I'm sorry. Uh, if you saw Burt Lancaster in The Rainmaker, you know exactly what I mean. That the people loved being built. They enjoyed it. <clears throat> he came to town, and the one thing he did was entertain them. And even though they knew that they were being taken, even though they knew that they were being peeled, even though they knew that they were all marked standing around there, they loved him for it because he gave them something in their lives that they had not had. He came out there, ladies and gentlemen, have you ever wondered about those great, those great stretches of nature just out there on the other side of the hills? Have you ever wondered what it is that causes rain? 
Well, I can tell you right here, as I stand right before you, that by tomorrow night I can have that rain coming down from that sky. I can have those clouds forming up over there. Well, I mean, you know, who cares if it rains after that? I mean, the rain itself is an anticlimax. Now, believe me, a guy getting a bottle of little gypsy fish bait oil, it's an anticlimax to the dreams and the hopes and the wild schemes and the beautiful images that the gypsy fish bait oil salesman conjures up. It's showbiz. Believe me, you walk into the theater over here. I'm serious. You walk into the theater, you pay nine bucks a head. You get in there, you've, it, it's been written about for six months by the Times. You walk in and there's those giant gold lame curtains. And you sit down and you're in this big seat and the audience is all dressed up with furs and the whole scene. The, the, the Cadillacs and the Rolls Royce. Who cares about the play after that? That's a, that's a drag. Many a guy, believe me, would just as soon do without the play. Seriously. That that is totally a, a drag. It's all the packing. It's all the packaging. And so I'm sitting in there that night, and I'm selling that thing. I says, friends, if you've ever envied those friends of yours who've been able to save money, you know the kind that just puts money away, and they go around with that big grin on their face, and by the end of the year, they got enough money to go down to Bermuda. Have you ever envied those people? Well, the little Roy Acuff bank, jukebox bank, will provide the answer, the means for you to save and enjoy it. Can you just see yourself sitting there, putting a quarter in, and it starts to sing... Roy Acuff's favorite ballad. Yes, sir. And the Red River Valley. It's singing away to you. And it's lighting up. And you've saved yourself a quarter. Because at the end of the month, you open up the box. And you're milking your own jukebox. Yes, sirree. Yes, sir. You can have your cake and eat it, too, friends. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, so, you didn't know that I could do this, did you, Tony? Well, I'm sorry. W.O.R. thinks I'm not commercial. So that the, I could think, oh, listen, I could go through that morning. I could go through this, this, this WOR schedule like a lawnmower going through dandelions. I'll tell you. <laughs> if, you know, it, it, sometimes when, when you've had this kind of experience, it's like a fighter. It's like a guy who knows how to, a real tremendous fighter. And you know, he gets into a bar and he sees everybody standing around the bar, all these fat guys and these little short guys and these big rubbery guys. And they're all getting a little tough, you know, they're drinking their beer and they're pretending they're fist fighters and they walk around and they yell and holler at the mirrors and all that stuff. He knows that all he could, all he would have to do, you know, would be just to work one, one end of the body, you know, hit the heads together and start on the booths, you know, and then throw the whole crowd out on 6th Avenue with one big fell swoop. Well, you know that feeling? Well, I have come up in my past, which is somewhat checkered, through a school of radio that did not fool around. I'll tell you. It was a very different world, I'm telling you, than the good guys <laughs> over here. You know, the very different scene than, than, uh, than you know, somebody politely breaking into the, to the Martha Dean show to tell you about reading the New York Times. Very different school. Now, Sometimes I listen to the radio guys and that, and I feel like that fighter. You know, that fighter that, that goes into the bar and he knows he can lick everybody in the house, and he just doesn't do it. Because, it, oh, it's not that he's a better man or anything. His experience has been different. He's been trained, you know, in a different school. He's been trained, you know, what to do with your elbow when you're in fighting. He's been trained just exactly where to hit a guy with your thumb. When the sweat is at its worst, you know, he knows all these tricks. He could reduce, uh, really, seriously, the, a little 142-pound fighter, I mean, a guy that can reduce a 220-pound Green Bay football tackle to absolute coleslaw in two and a half minutes. He really can. 
And, and, and that's just the fact of it. And so I sit here and I listen, you know, and I say, well, I prefer not to do it. I prefer not to come on. All right, friends, have you ever envied those neighbors of yours? Have you ever listened to... Uh, listen, listen, you guys out in Staten Island, have you ever looked over to Brooklyn and says, oh, boy, someday? Well, let me tell you, friends, if you start reading the New York Herald Tribune tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., if you start and get off the mark at the right time of the day tomorrow with your eyes bright and clear and shining, if tomorrow morning you start out with Walter Lippmann, if tomorrow morning you start out by reading Peanuts, if tomorrow morning you start out with a lead fist, yeah, let them fight you then. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very different school of selling, you see. But, oh, boy, is it effective. And so I, I do this bit for the guys. And, and we're all standing around in the control room. We're, we're all drifting back. on you. Of course, you see, these stations are devoted only to one thing. Absolutely one thing. Mail pull. Absolutely there's nothing. They, you, ratings? They never heard of ratings. What are the ratings? What do you mean? All they want to know is how many bags of dollars are in those gigantic mail sacks that come in every day. You know, I saw this radio station. This will curl your hair. I saw this radio station on one Monday night after particularly wild Friday, Saturday, and Sunday weekend of pitching with a large number of new offers, you know, new gimmicks, new things, ballpoint pins that light up in the dark and play the rosary, all kinds of wild things. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, 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 do you think I invented that one? I'm telling you the truth. Lumescent ballpoint pens that guarantee and constantly remind you of our creator as you work away there at your account books to remind you. <laughs> Can you imagine a guy making out his income tax with a ballpoint pen that lights up and says, Thou shalt not steal? <laughs> oh, they're very effective. Well, well, that's the kind of stuff we were selling. So we had this big weekend, and the following Monday afternoon, the mail had come in, and in our mail room, was $242,000 in $1 bills from one weekend of pitch work. You know the kind that says, send in no, do not send your name and address. Be sure to send in $1, $1. There is no postal poage, no no prices, no, you know that kind of thing, send in a dollar. Well, we had 242 G's. There were three Brinks guards at every door to the mailroom. We had them regularly every day there at that radio station. So if you think this was small-time radio, forget it. <laughs> this station usually knocked down maybe, on an average, I would say, it would draw in in mail about a million dollars every ten days, roughly, in absolute cash, of which it got 50% in cash. It just siphoned. It didn't work. It, it, PI means percentage of inquiry. It did not work on, on uh, you know, buy 15 minutes for X dollars, uh, 15 minutes or one minute spot cost X. No, sir. It was P.I. In other words, the station went into partnership with a guy, and, and, and if he drew in uh, $10 million, they got $5 million, sent him the $5 million, his $5 million, and they went their way, you know. Well, anyway, here's what happened to Rick. Rick, you know, has been plotting, scheming all the time. It's his, whole, his whole world was this garden. This garden that he was tending all of his life, that one day if he hit it big, oh man, oh man, wow, would he be, you know, it would be great. And so he's always working with his notebook and he's always selling insurance and he's always selling a used car. He used to come up and say, listen, fellas, if any of you need a watch, if any of you, <laughs> there's nothing like a pitch man selling other pitch men pitch junk. And that's one word, by the way, pitch junk. And, and, and we'd buy. That was what was so, so discouraging. Oh, yeah. He'd come in. He'd say, listen, fellas, any of you need a watch? I have here. 
and he'd reached down into his checkered vest pocket. I have here an Elgin watch. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, I don't want to tell you exactly where this watch came from. I suppose you guys will understand this. There'd be five of us snapping at that thing like a smallmouth bass batting away at a bass arena. I'm telling you, all of us. <laughs> let me see it. Let me see it. I bought more cardboard Elgin watches. Then you ever could, <laughs> believe it or not, I'm serious. You know, you know, you know that gimmick. You get an Elgin watch case and you put a Mickey Mouse works in it. That's what you do. And, and, and some nights when the sun is shining right or the moon is upright, you can see the little Mickey Mouse hands on it, you know, with the little yellow mittens and the gloves and the little Mickey Mouse shoes and stuff. Hey, yeah, and there it is. It's this Elgin, 23 jewels. All 23 jewels are in a pawn shop 400 miles away. <laughs> they ain't in your watch. And so, uh, you know, it's this kind of stuff. Well, so this big day arrived. I did his big pitch. I did the big thing. And, of course, the whole point is to wait till the next morning. And we're saying, boy, will Rick get it this time, man? Oh, man, he's going to learn this. Ha, <laughs> you know, this is a hard field of road. You know, we're all hitting each other. And, and, and it got to be a gag. And we'd go down to the, we'd go down to the little gypsy diner, you see. And we'd go down there and somebody would say, hey, hey, uh, hey, you got your jukebox bank with you? Listen, I'd like to buy a quarter from you. And, and, and somebody would reach down in his pocket and take out a jukebox. We all took the carrying them around, you know. We'd take them into the joints and we'd put a quarter and doing, doing, doing. We'd go. They actually played. They played hillbilly songs. And you could have your choice of them, like old Rattler. Uh, Red River Valley. You could have your choice of what your jukebox banks. And so the next day, I came in. And every announcer, this is, this is the kind of thing that made you really, really uh, be on the stick. Every announcer had just exactly the way, you know how they, how they post the batting averages every day? They post the Yankee batting averages and the Met batting averages. Do you know that every day at noon, every announcer's announcement his record, how much mail he pulled, was put out right there for all to see. And you would lead, you see, you would jockey up. Boy, is it terrible to be on the bottom of a five-man staff of pitchmen, you know. And there it is, you know. And every announcement is keyed, so they know, you know, it's like, send your name and address to Department 1A. That means old Shep, you see. Or Department 2B. That means Charlotte. You know, and so on up and down the line. And so that day I came in, and I walked in, and there was the chick sitting there at the reception desk, and she says, congratulations. I said, what? What? What do you mean? She says, have you seen the chart? I came in at noon. I says, no, no. What What do you mean the chart? I figured, you know, gypsy fish bait oil finally broke through. <laughs> I go in there, and whose name is leading all the rest? Shepard drew 17,923 orders at $3.95 each for Roy Acuff jukebox banks. And Rick is on the floor unconscious. <laughs> He's laying in there. He has 144 lousy little jukebox banks to send out. And he's got telephones going all over the country. Plastic plants are turning out jukebox banks everywhere. And, and the manager is taking him down to have a crab dinner. The whole thing. All of a sudden, he's a gigantic tycoon. He is no longer on the schedule. He is walking around wearing $7 shoes. He's a sensation. Fantastic thing. Well, within six weeks, this guy was in more trouble than you could shake a stick at. He had union guys calling on him with blackjacks. He had people who mailed things. He had rapping guys working on the whole scene. He had he had tax men coming in and out. There were guys carrying violin cases that looked like they could have had something else in them. And every night, Shep would come on and say, Have you envied your friends and neighbors? Well, at last reports, that guy is living in a hut in Canada. But he's a happy man.